Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to Energy Speaks Back, powered by Hark. My name is Paul Webb. I'm the founder of B2B Energy, and I'm your host. Wherever you're listening today to this podcast, I truly hope that you are safe. We would like to thank our episode sponsor today, Alexis Energy. And more will be heard about this later within the podcast. This is episode 48, where I weekly present to you experts from around the world. And today I am down under in Australia. The purpose as always is to provide a good understanding of energy management knowledge from around the world, which is available today for us to deliver savings that impact on our planet. My guest today is a performance driven senior executive from the renewable energy and clean tech sectors, delivering transformational business strategies to bring innovative ideas to the market. He is a co-founder and executive director of Alexis Energy, trading in Australia as Planet Arc Power. So without any further ado, I give you Richard Romanowski. Good evening and good morning at the same time, Richard. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Bright and early, cheery. It's 5.30 in the morning here in Brisbane, Australia. Um, behind me, you can see the uh, Sydney Opera House. I put that up because everyone gets confused with my accent. They go, You're, <laughs> you don't sound like an Aussie, you know, <laughs> but I've got my coffee. <laughs> oh, there it Richard, is. Richard, the first time we met, you had we had that conversation and... Um, I'm lucky you did have the. I was confused. Uh, well, I thought you was American. I, I, I was American. So, yes. So, I'm a Canadian. My lovely Brisbane um, wife brought me back to Australia in 32 years ago. But the accent, I just can't say g'day, mate, really well. You know, it just doesn't. So, it's, I don't know. And so they call me, they even call me um, a snap frozen yank, is sort of what they. They make make fun of me being a Canadian, and I keep saying they keep saying calling me a Yank, and I go, well, "I'm not a Yank," and they go, "Well, you're you're just a snap frozen Yank." That's all. <laughs> so, is, is that a compliment over there, or is it not a compliment? Oh, it's just being the Aussie cheeky. They make fun of everything, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. I know some Australians, and they do like a bit of banter. I must admit, back and forth, you know. But it's 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 said tongue in cheek with with care and love. It's not not intended to be offensive. But and you have could. you woken up to a beautiful morning there? It's uh, winter, so we're we're about uh, ten degrees this morning, right? So right. it's not bad, you know. But but the day will today this afternoon will be about twenty one. Beautiful blue sky, crisp, nice. It's a nice winter to have compared to um, where I come from in Canada, which which is minus thirty in the winter. <laughs> I know where I'd rather be, to be honest with you. Absolutely. So, Richard, great, and thank you for joining us today. Um, we have had already, I think we've met about two or three weeks ago, we've had quite a few Zoom calls, and I've been exploring your technology, and we've been looking at opportunities of how we can take that into the UK, which has been very exciting, and I'm sure that will come out to uh, later on in our conversation. But for the benefit of our audience today, can you give us some background to yourself and what you're all about well, well me personally i'm a um, canadian but now a dual citizen australian so I live here in australia um fell in love with clean technology investing about 25 years ago 
so I was um, uh, was and am sort of a clean angel, uh, clean technology angel investor. So sort of uh, my day job making money, sort of a business consultant type guy, uh, and uh, was trying to give back to the to the community with helping the, the clean tech startups, and ended up eight years ago with my co-founder, uh, Dr. Bevan Holcomb, who's um, utility engineer over you know almost 40 years of utility engineering uh came up with a solution to fix a major problem in the world in terms of uh the ability to increase renewables in the local grid and decarbonize the local grid so so we basically spent the last uh eight nine years developing that technology and now we're uh going global What's been the uh, the driving for you? What drives you personally regarding this the clean tech industry? Um, I sort of you know my training is is business commerce um, and and that was you know you know forty years ago and none of this climate change issues, social justice issues were really taught. Right, and explained, you know, so just go on, make money, you know, blah, 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 the usual, uh, make a buck at all costs. And then about 25 years ago, I, I, I got stung by, by a bumblebee. The bumblebee was uh, a fantastic gentleman who, who just opened my eyes to what's happening in the world about climate change, social injustices and the like. And then I, I said, well, I want to help. And, and so we started, I started on my personal journey to make a difference. And eight years ago, when we started, Alexis, this company, um, we said we we wanted to leave behind an attempt to help save the Great Barrier Reef, you know, from from climate change. So that was our sort of uh, model uh, eight years ago when we started, and now, of course, that's 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 still our model, but we, we're, it's it's more focused on on just globally uh, helping decarbonize the uh, the distribution grid. During that's 25 years, that's a long time to be um, to be within this industry, to be honest with you. Um, when I look back in time regarding the, the climate talks and it, yeah, we've always talked about it and touched on it, but, but it's only been recently, let's say the last 10 years that people started taking it seriously. So, um, and I know the, the Barrier Reef, Great Barrier Reef has been on the radar for many, many years, hasn't it, regarding the, the damage it's been adhered to. Yes, the Great Barrier Reef is 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 they're they're arguing over it every day, uh, and of course the very little is really getting done. So we yeah. we need to do something about it because it's it's our it's our lungs, um, you know. Basically, it's it's like the you know the lungs of the world, and and without it, things are really going to change. And it's um, um, I remember when I first came to Australia, we went scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef. It was just beautiful you know 30 years ago colors galore like rainbow everywhere you look fish and coral and we go back to the same spot um you know recently and it's you know it's gray still alive but it's gray and what a huge difference and so i you know just my limited non-scientific experiences this is real it's happening we're in trouble yeah (laughs) we need to do something um and do something fast and all that sort of climate emergency stuff is 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 real. We, yes, it's only now 
becoming more mainstream with um, uh, Canada in the last what month, I'm sure in the UK, you heard they've had temperatures of 46 and 47 degrees in Canada. I mean, that's that's like temperatures you're expecting in in, in the desert in Africa, not 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 Canada, you know. And and then and then you got forest fires all over th through California, all through Canada, um, flood events, uh, and you go, you know, uh, you're not, you know, the some of the conservative media, you're not, you're not, you're not allowed to blame them on climate change. You know, that's that's just one in a thousand year event, and you go, it's just not, you know, the population. We can't dismiss finally, it, can we? We can't dismiss yeah. that. Population are finally waking up to say this is real, you know, and they don't want to listen to those, some crazy ultra conservatives who want to maintain their uh, coal and gas monopoly. Do you think we can reverse the conditions and the depletion of the, the Great Barrier Reef? Is that possible or is it too late? I hope so. To be honest, I have to say it's, it's not something I can. Uh, I understand there's lots of things they're working on to try coupled with reducing our climate change impact and getting back to the, you know, one, whatever, what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get to 1.8 degrees now or 1.5, I get confused, <laughs> right? If we can do that, and, and then there are some really bright scientists around the world working on reef regeneration, trying to help the reef uh, regenerate faster because, it, you know, it's the current regeneration is you know, taking millions of years to get this far and it doesn't happen fast. So if we can speed it up, uh, but then that's going to cost uh, time and money. Uh, but there are some um, innovative things happening and I hope it works. All I can do is do my part, which is focus on stopping that horrible gas, uh, CO2 gas, you know, being pumped into the atmosphere. Now, I am... Um, just reading Bill Gates's book about the climate change solution. And it's quite topical. It's, it's up to date because he's talking about the, the pandemic that we've just, sort of, we're going, we're living every day. And I was shocked when I read that some of this uh, this morning, it was actually saying that the whole pandemic has impacted on climate change by only 5%. The whole okay. world has shut down. Travelling, planes have been reduced. Ships have been reduced. And I've actually seen um, evidence of it. We've got seals coming up the Thames at the moment. We've got clear waters. Um, and, you know, we are witnessing it, but it's only impacted it by 5%, which is nothing. <laughs> Quick, then, but it was nothing. And then, and, and then I'll just add to that. So there was um, some news article I read, and I apologize, I, I can't remember the source, but it said, We've spent in the last 10 years so many billions of dollars on renewables, and the CO2 has actually gone up, right? Because we're building um, more industry, more coal stations as, as fast as we're building renewables. So, it, again, you go, wow, I, you know, I thought that we have so many solar farms in Australia and so many solar farms in Europe. And you think, well, have, didn't that make a difference? Yeah. <laughs> right? when, and, and it's scary. And we need it's to not, account. We do need to account that the global energy economy is growing four to five percent every year as well. So we've got right. that to deal with. So as we're growing, we, the bottom line here is we need to move faster and we need to do more. And it's really great that we've got, you know, I, I've got some poor experiences with investors in our industry. 
and you know and i'm going back some years where they've they've only just looked at the return on investment and they've always said the return on investment isn't enough you know and they've backed out and we've had some oh i've personally put some amazing ideas in front of them regarding helping organizations so the organization would be investing in this technology or, or whatever for their properties but the the return on investment just wasn't enough for them to follow through so do you have guidelines of what you focus on re regarding that return on investment so we build uh sort of super microgrids so our uh in big commercial you know buildings uh could be a you know a, a store it could be a warehouse it could be a you know manufacturing plant and we can um make them sort of 10 times bigger than current technology so i have to explain that to, to explain my okay. our cuts so that means it's a, a five million to ten million pound project which is pretty significant so we're finding investors are happy with about an eight to twelve percent uh, IRR over twenty years, um, and that's what we're finding is working. And that's and those projects are attracting uh, pension funds globally, and and uh, ESG investors from all over the world are going wow. Um, and so, so so that's sort of uh, sorry for answering the question that way in a, in a long winded way, but it it fits with um, we call it we're moving the solar farm from way out in the country uh, and using um uh, you know uh, in many countries you know, actually using farmland to put a solar farm in <laughs> moving that into the city where we can put you know basically put a mini solar farm on every rooftop and that's we're finding that that is really working uh well and attracting uh lots of investors in fact they say to us they, they actually uh deem this as a whole new asset class that we've actually created that that's not they would never have invested in this without uh, the sort of the technology stuff that we've, we've done. And tell us what the differences are that, that this technology can provide us. Um, we, we, we have um, um, a fantastic, the, the, the world's largest machine is our electricity grid. And it's huge. You know, just think everywhere you go, you have electricity almost everywhere you go. Right, and it's fantastic. It's taken a you know hundred over hundred years to build trillions and trillions of dollars, but it's all designed ar around being a one-way grid. Yeah. It sends energy from way out in the country in the coal or gas power station or the nuclear plant, and sends it into the grid. It was never designed for us to put renewables, you know, rooftop solar and batteries. Uh, micro wind waste energy in our suburbs. It was not designed ever to be a two-way grid. So there's a whole range of physics that you have to solve to make that one-way energy flow into a two-way energy flow. And that's what we've done in, in, in the simplistic terms. Uh, lots of technology, lots of really smart uh, electric, electrical engineers behind it. And that means uh, we... I'm just repeating myself, we can move that solar farm onto those industrial warehouses and put every single roof with solar. And you, you're going to ask me next, you probably should ask me, but aren't we doing that now? Isn't that happening now? What's what's the yeah. difference? Yeah. Go on, you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Richard. Spoil us. I like it so, when my guest actually provides his own questions and I even, you know, I can just sit here. Well, I knew you, I knew you was going to be trouble tonight. 
it's fun. But so that's so again, it's it's again people um, because the electricity is out of sight, out of mind. Basically, people turn the light switch on and they go, well, that's it, that's electricity. And so there's lots of technology behind it. So now, if you're a commercial building, more or less all over the world, you put solar in to to only provide energy for your use on site so a lot of buildings have room for say two megawatts of solar on the roof but they only install 200 kilowatts or 300 kilowatts and that's based around the physics and the rules of the grid because the grid says we can't handle it. if you if you're sending energy backwards i can't handle it and then and then it, and there's no the economics aren't there so we fix that um the physics we fix the economics and then we've turned that so so that that um, warehouse now can be become a small solar farm, two, two megawatts instead of say four or five hundred kilowatts. We add a huge battery, which then allows us to get paid to support the grid, keep the keep the lights on, as they say. I'm you know you, not talking any fancy tech words, but basically keep we get paid to keep the lights on. So you end up with um, your industrial precincts can become you know, a very large, um, many sites turned into a very large solar farm, basically, and support the grid. So that's um, the renewables of the future, we think will be a mix of solar farms and wind farms way out in the country, but then uh, where we can put solar onto and fill the roof of every single industrial site, every single uh, uh, residential site, and generate clean energy in our suburbs. Uh, in Australia, there's a study done that we can generate 120% of our total electricity needs if we filled every rooftop with solar. But again, the if is you can't do it because the one-way grid, and then we fix it and create a two-way grid. So is that is that is that is that exactly the one obviously that that we have had this conversation. So We've been talking about the, so yeah, 100 years ago, we, we had this infrastructure put in place for this one-way grid. Now, this infrastructure is tired, it needs upgrading, it's got lots of issues. And what we're finding in the UK, and I'm sure this is globally, if we want to put solar in or a CHP or some form of on-site generation, the grid is saying, no, you can't because we can only accept it coming back if it does. We don't want you to ex export. So straight away, National Grid in the UK, we don't want no exporting at all because we can't rely on it. We have to balance everything. When it does come back, it's going to be too much. So we need to restrict it because our systems behind the line, we've got 13 amp fuses that aren't going to be able to, they're just going to blow. I'm exaggerating there, but... It's in music to my ears. It's exactly what we're fixing. So, so that you, you know, that you, you're talking firsthand how you're having trouble with yourself and your contacts putting in CHP and other other wind, solar, micro wind, whatever, and that, and that the grid is saying we don't want it. Or in California, when they want to uh, put sort of a rooftop solar, they get charged, you know, for the grid upgrade. Oh. And it yeah. just kills the project. I'm, I'm sure that's the same in the UK. You're getting you're getting paid, and and it's it's like uh, you've got. A, I've had to downsize projects 
because it would have cost us £150,000 of upgrade cost. It just killed the project. Wow. And it just, and it's, but again, if we, um, our technology goes in uh, beside, you know, your technology, we fix that, that one-way grid problem and eliminate or radically reduce any upgrade costs. And all of a sudden it works, right? And, and we've, you know, now you have a, a, a bankable, project or, or the yanks call it you know it pencils <laughs> are, are you in a position where you're going to be able to convince and negotiate with the grid to say to them that your solution is proven is there going to be issues there are they going to say no no look your new boys on the block we don't accept what you're saying so it is there is a process of, of change and acceptance the engineering fraternity are conservative. They have to be to keep the lights on, right? They get paid to keep those lights on. Um, so it takes time to um, take them through the steps. So uh, we're doing that here in Australia. We're starting to do that, uh, finding sites all around around the world where we can demonstrate our technology. We work with the local uh, DNO um, or the uh, in Australia we call it the DNSP Distribution Network Service Provider. Mm-hmm. The Yanks call it. Everybody calls it slightly different. So we work with them to do case studies. There's lots of engineering reports done by uh, global engineering experts, independent to validate, you know, what we're doing, that it works. We've got reports. Just it's just time. It's process. Remember, remember, these grids work for us. They're effectively community assets, right? And they have a social license, and part of their social license is built in to you know keeping the lights on and doing it at the least cost and most efficient ways built into globally all that uh that uh that assets even though they don't act that way sometimes (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say are we talking about the same people (laughs) we are are, but if if you if you we're gonna just richard you're gonna get me into trouble now and you're in trouble yourself say that no (laughs) Yeah, they're just, you know, these guys, remember these engineers, they're, they're paid to just go, you know, they're, they're doing what, what, based on the, you know, oversimplified, you know, it's much more complex than this, but effectively you have yeah. a one-way, they, they, they're working within their current uh, technology constraints. Once you present a different technology, it just takes time for it to be taken up. So we have um, um, a couple of professors are, you know, work with us almost full time. And they're writing white papers and uh, doing presentations at global um, engineering conferences or utility engineering conferences to begin that education process and get people to um, to uh, people being the engineering utility fraternity to say, wow, there's something different here. I can do something. I have another tool in my toolbox. How's that? Right. Yeah. Instead of we basically create, give them another tool in their toolbox and that and, and educating them is part of that and the change. So in the UK, yes, we're looking for uh, uh, customers and um, uh, project developers who want to sort of work with us to uh, demonstrate our tech on buildings and, and the like. Um, so yeah, is that, is that help? Is that sort of answer? Yeah, no, that's exactly, to be honest, I think, I think it's very refreshing. And that's why, you know, when we spoke, I, I had all these different projects. I've done a lot of work with CHP where I've had to downsize. I've heard a lot of um, solar projects that haven't gone over the line because of this issue. Um, 
you know, we one of our biggest problems is finding the connections into the grid and then finding those connections that are man enough to take the connection. Um, yep. I've worked with all different people along that, that process regarding that, um, finding the, the points, then not having the infrastructure behind it. So that I've, I've, I've followed the journey and I've often hit the wall and had a bloody nose because we can't get it over the line because of that. And now you've got, I knew there had to be some form of solution coming. We, we had to address that. And, and, we, and we need it because um, if you think of the electrification of everything, you know, we start talking, there's some big, scary, hairy concepts, and that's one of them. So, so as you uh, replace all the gas you know, in our homes and businesses with electric, and we want it to be electric, the electricity that's going to has, that has to flow within our suburbs doubles or triples or in some communities would, would, would quadruple right so it's 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 and and that will be um, under the one-way grid really really expensive to upgrade this hundred year old grid <laughs> you know yeah. so think of the the problems you're having now you double or triple that right so so effectively that's decarbonization and the grids they don't, they don't have an answer, right? Other than to spend a ton of money. And when they spend a ton of money, then they pass that on to us in increased uh, tariffs, which, yeah. you know, it's, 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 you know, the community will go, um, will have a revolution, I guess, where, where the, you know, the people will say, this is just, we can't afford it, right? Um, so, so we need to do it cost effectively. And that's, so that's part of our solution also in the big picture, we, radically reduce the need the cost of upgrading to deliver the electrification of everything and so there's lots of discussion and detail behind the scenes we can, we can have but effectively you know they're talking it's going to be you know trillions of dollars to upgrade the global grid to decarbonize but you know can they can the world afford that yeah and, and then and then the opposite is can we you know can we not afford it? we have to do it right yeah, no choice <laughs> one thing I'm looking to the future, and I talk to many people around the world regarding our industry and what we need to be doing. And I'm talking to people, um, which you just triggered something in my mind. So we've got EV coming, electric vehicles. And again, that's something that we are seeing happen very quickly. We're going to need to have some form of upgrade on the infrastructure again, because we've we're not going to be happy with just plugging in and trickle charging these cars. We're going to be wanting to do a long journey and do fast charging. Now I know that already is going to put a load on the grid because that's needed. And we're going to be, need to be expanding all our charging points. We're going to be, it, it's going to be a nightmare if we don't do something about the grid. So are you ahead of the curve because of this as well? Thank you. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> um, so because we can send energy backwards, we can do that through a battery, you know, with or without solar. It does or we don't need the, the solar. So we can plunk. So in you know, give me any uh, car park, I can plunk a battery there in, in an EV charger. Our our device minimizes or eliminates the need to, to upgrade the grid 
that battery makes money from day one because it's getting paid to support the grid. And then, then you've got an EV fast charger sitting there waiting for um, people to plug in and use it. And that's what we're doing now in Australia. We're doing uh, probably uh, 10,000 uh, of those EV fast chargers across Australia over the next five years. And we can put that into um, uh, a shopping center, you know, free of charge to the, to the shopping center, uh, to the tenant. So now to put that in would cost, in Australia, we're talking 250000 to half a million dollars. And none of the shopping centers want to put it in because it, it, you just put it in and, and then you just have to wait for the EVs to show up. You don't have no income. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we can do it free of charge to the shopping center, free of charge to the local municipality, the council, the, the, the cities, and put these out there. And that's part of that chicken and egg problem is they're saying EV take up's not going to happen until we can fix that um, recharge, you know, recharging problem. And, and so that's part of our solution. Did I answer? Is that, did I explain? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. So you're, well, I said earlier, you're ahead of the curve. So that's part of the plan and the strategy going forward. And that's very refreshing to know we've got that around the corner or we've got people thinking about that and investors on board as well. Yeah, the investors are just, they're keen. And again, that's part of our, our entry into, into the UK. We, we want to, you know, get a few of those sites up and running prove that it works to the, the DNOs and distribution grids, and of course also to the potential customers to find, find sites. So uh, you have that trickle charge on, on street parking, um, you know, into the lamppost where you can plug your car into the lamppost, right? That That's nice, but it's not, it's not enough. It's back to, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a 12 or 24 hour recharge. People want to be able to pull in and, and fast charge. Um, so, but the, the cost to the grid upgrade, if you did that, is huge, and we fixed that problem. I'm, I'm feeling very good about that in the future. <laughs> That's one thing I'm really nervous about. You better buy your EV. Which, 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 which what have you picked? What's your, your, your EV? Uh, I've, I've got no, I'll, I'll probably go for it. At this moment in time, it'll probably be like a Tesla or, or a, I actually like the Volkswagen Golf EV. Really? Choose one, so yeah. Better. I like the Golf. I'm a big German car driver, Mercedes or Audi. Um, So, yeah. But I have a friend in California that does retrofits on existing cars. All right. Well, you... I've got my eyes on my existing car. So I've got an Audi TT I've just brought. So I might get that converted to an EV. That's still a good good bit. So I'm looking at here we have the MG is probably the most... Uh, remember, we have uh, very, much fewer EVs here because the market size is tiny. So the family-friendly one that I can see so far, but um, I'll wait another couple of months before I, I get one. We actually have, oh, I, I love it. One day I have to send you a picture. We have um, our head office. Our, our offices are in an old uh, petrol station. So we've we um, own, and then, and then next to it is a, is a warehouse complex and the like, but that petrol station is, it was in our eight years ago, sort of where we started. Um, and, and out front, there's, there's no um, uh, petrol pumps anymore, but we're, we're actually putting an EV fast charger in. That's right? Yeah. It's like, so there you go. It's, it's the um, great marketing, the icon. We're going to go, we're making the change. So that's, that, I'll send you I the look picture. Forward to seeing a, yes, I look forward to seeing that. So, Richard, 
um, I like to put my guests on the spot. And I know you love being on the spot. Um, so tell me, uh, is there anything that you can give back today to our industry as a takeaway? Wow, thank you. So do I get 10, ten seconds to think? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to put it on pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember this is, you know, eight years of my life, really, you know, 24 seven. Um, and for us, it's decarbonizing the local suburbs is, is crucial to, the, to our future, to our survival as, as, as a human race. We've got to, we got to do that. And I'm sure there's other ways and other technologies. And that's what we've put our passion, our love, our money uh, on the table, developing our Lexus technology so that we can actually uh, fix the problems we've been talking about, the one-way grid and the two-way grid that allows for in depends on on the suburb but you know you know let's just say it's 10 times more clean energy in the suburb uh, than, than we can put into the suburb now cost effectively little or no grid upgrade so it, it doesn't cost the, the world you know ton you know we don't go bankrupt by doing it it allows yeah. for the electrification of everything um, and to me that's what we're we believe we're giving back and the way we give back is we don't want to uh, we want to license the world to use our technology. So, so we that's our giving back. We don't want to um, go into the UK and build own and operate these things. We want to get you to do it, right, Paul, and you and your, your and so all the other uh, the whole industry. So we want to be the um, the intel inside of that renewable, distributed, local energy industry. Um, and so our model is sort of a licensing franchising model where we teach people to use our tech and we support them. Um, and that's what's that we're on the verge of signing up around the world, uh, probably half a dozen sort of master licensees around that concept. Um, and yeah, that's, is that, I, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's more not it's more around not what we've done it's just but i can't let go of what we what we're doing exactly. so <laughs> um, that, that is a good point you're actually giving us a technology to take forward to address the challenges that we've got coming forward and we need people, we need people like you and others and leaders in the world to say well because we're we're saying here it is please take it and use it right um mm. and so we're, we're um, actually looking forward to having 10 or 20 master licensees in the next few years, and each of them will take it and innovate how they use it and, and develop use cases and the like. And that, and that then becomes, uh, we share that amongst the, everybody and we speed up decarbonization. So that's my vision. Oh, I, and then the third world too, crikey. And then uh, I'm not supposed to say third world, oops, edit, developing world, right? Um, <laughs> so it's not just our, our first world, we forgot, we forget that the developing world is screaming for help, right? Mm. They need this more than anything because the, you know they're um, in the UK. You're, you're complaining about your grid and our grid here. You know, go to um, Vietnam or, or 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 Indonesia. You know, their grid is is still the same grid 50 years ago. They haven't upgraded it, and so yeah. they're or the likes of Nigeria and Kenya. Yes, lots of work to be done there. Yeah, yeah, and then off grid. So again, our, our technology helps also uh, make off-grid much more cost-effective. So, so those are the things that we're trying to give back to the world. Yeah, that's amazing. 
and we recognize that and that's one of the reasons why i've invited you on to my podcast so i can get your story and your message out there and i hope we achieve that together so thank you richard and it's been a real pleasure again um catching up with you um i think i'm i'm having meetings with you every week now i'll keep seeing this <laughs> <laughs> the the Sydney Opera House in the background, which um, I've I have got to, I've told you this, but I need to tell you this on air that the Sydney Opera House was the architect of the Sydney Opera House actually designed a beep property on Canby Island, and we've got a big plaque. I'm going to take a picture of that plaque and I'm going to send it to you. It, it, I'll look forward to it. It'd be an absolute pleasure. And then, of course, when you come out, I've got to get that. Um, bottle of red wine and um, a nice meal with you and we'll we'll talk more and more about changing the world and making a difference right. and and really appreciate uh your efforts to do that uh, um, through this podcast and all the other things you're doing so congratulations paul it's a pleasure thank you and thank you for joining us today and richard you and your family please be safe in these times thank you enjoy catch ya Thank you for our special guest today. And thank you for our sponsors, B2B Energy, which can be found at b2benergy.co.uk and Clean Energy Revolution, which can also be found either through various different social media networks. Type in hashtag Clean Energy Revolution. That leaves me with one more thing to say. Be safe.